I want to talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's part of a loose series entitled The Age of the Spirit to remind us that we are spirit-filled believers living in the age of the Spirit. Jesus is not physically with us on the planet. If he was here, he wouldn't have to come again. He will come again, but he is with us spiritually by the Holy Spirit, and that's advantageous to us because it means he's not limited. He can be with you and with me and with every other believer anywhere in the world. And so we need to lay hold of what it means to be walking with the Holy Spirit throughout this whole period of time, and that's what it's going to be like until Jesus returns. Now, I want to intensify this idea of being led by the Spirit because you could be forgiven to think that this is a passive experience, that you're just being led. And most of the time, the leading of the Spirit is almost imperceptible. It's not usually mighty visions, great volcanic eruptions of Holy Spirit revelation. Usually it's that inner prompting. But I want to intensify it today from the life and experience of the Apostle Paul because he spoke not just about being led by the Spirit, but being constrained by the Spirit. That inner witness, the operation of the Holy Spirit that very strongly thrusts us out of spiritual conviction into certain chosen directions of our life. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24, it's a little slice from a continuing story of how Paul met with Christ and was led every step of his way, shaped by the Spirit, educated by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit from the very first moment that he met Christ right up until the end of his life. Now, he is on the way to Jerusalem. A bit of a recap, he's done three missionary journeys. Each of them have been full of adventure, full of the Holy Spirit. And this is the final one. And he's, he's so sure he needs to go to Jerusalem. And, and as it happened, he was arrested in Jerusalem and sent to prison and many Bible scholars say that he died in that Roman imprisonment under the reign of Nero, the vagabond, crazy emperor. Others say that he was released and went on with missionary journeys, but that doesn't concern us now, just to pick up on that, that story. Acts 20, 22 to 24. And now behold, 
I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Do you know, I mean really know, the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? I don't think there's anything more important than realizing the gift of the Spirit for you means that he will lead you and guide you surer, more safely, more accurately than any sat-nav system or any Google Maps. Other maps are available. Please don't sue me. You have an internal personal guidance system. God, the Holy Spirit. This is your birthright as a child of God that the Holy Spirit lives within you and will guide you, will shape you, direct you, empower you in every area of life and living. There is no aspect of our life that we do not also need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Also for your ministry and mission. Life, living, ministry, mission. To me, all those words mean the same thing. We are all servants of Jesus Christ. Learning how to discern and respond to the Holy Spirit. His personal leading for you is very, very important for your discipleship, for your life as a believer. Now there are many ways of hearing God. Chiefly, Scripture, which is prophetic. The Bible is a sure word of prophecy. Prophecy just means God speaking. God speaks thoroughly, completely, infallibly, clearly in his word. So hearing the Spirit's voice begins with and is always centered on the Word of God. But there is also the inner witness, as Paul describes it here, I am on my way to Jerusalem because I am constrained by the Spirit. The Spirit is constraining me, acting on the inside of me, telling me I've got to go to Jerusalem, and I'm obeying the Holy Spirit. Now along the way, Paul receives prophetic revelation. And that's the area of my message today. To hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, what to, to know what to do with prophecy. In our passage, Paul says, I don't know what's awaiting me there, imprisonment and affliction, but one thing I do know is the Spirit 
testifies in every city that hardships await me. He said, I know on the inside I've got to go. That's the Spirit leading me. And it constrains me. But also, I'm having prophetic witnesses. The Spirit is testifying. I like it. There's so many wonderful principles here. First of all, you have the Holy Spirit and you don't need any prophet to reveal God's will to you. Open your Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to show you and be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean to say prophets are in, uh, have no value. Of course they are. But you've got to follow certain principles. First of all, when a prophet comes to you and starts to prophesy, thus says the Lord, raise one eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? And, uh, I, you know, we've got to test all things, but not despise prophesying. But it's so easy for people who are looking for a platform, who have some kind of attention-seeking need in them, to try and pull rank over their fellow brothers and sisters and say, I have a word from the Lord. One so-called prophet recently delivered a so-called prophecy to me saying, well, I have done and I've passed it on. Now that's my job done. When I looked into this, that person has no church, no connection, no credibility, and actually has caused a lot of prob problem, problems wherever he or she went. Notice I just made it a bit gender confusing there so you, so you don't uh, get the wrong idea. But however, prophecies are valuable. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophesying. Test all things. Hold on to that which is good. So how did Paul handle it? First of all, he was the great apostle to the Gentiles. He is going to be used by God to write two-thirds of the theology of the Bible. In other words, this guy knew his onions and he was carrying a level of spiritual authority and infallibility that exists now only in scriptures. At that time, the scripture was not complete. Now it is. But even he is relying on the leading of the Spirit on the inside of him. It is spiritual to be listening to the Holy Spirit. But also, he takes into account what the Spirit is saying through prophetic words. And first clue, it says in every city the Spirit testifies. There is such a thing as the law of spiritual repetition. In other words, a one-off thing um, is often not authentic. There is a principle out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And so there is safety in listening not just to one voice or one prophet or one person, but sharing with others and hearing what the Spirit is saying. And when there is prophecy after prophecy which confirms something which you already sense and know in your heart, it's very likely to be God. And so, just a few words about being guided by the Spirit. It's often the very first question when people come to talk to you and you are 
a cell leader or in some kind of pastoral responsibility? How can I know the voice of God? How can I discern the will of God? Have you ever been asked that question? I think every preacher has their way of doing it. Mine is a traffic light system. Uh, Red, amber, and green. Let me explain. Red, amber, and green traffic light system. We've just had that rolled out uh, and rolled back a little bit as well uh, over COVID international travel. Red countries, I'm praying that those, some of those red countries are going to go green this week, especially Brazil. Lord, I'm preaching now, but I hope you hear what I'm saying. Brazil, please, Jesus. Can I have an amen? All right. So go from red to amber and all, all that kind of stuff. Now, here it is, very simple. Red, God's word. Amber, God's will. Green, God's way. God's word is clear. And that's the first light that you have to see uh, signal in your your favor. And that is the Word of God. Check it out in the Word of God. So um, here's an example. I'm just asking God, um, you know, I'm I'm 50 years of age. My wife is 50 and kind of like to trade her in for two 25-year-olds. What do you think about that, Holy Spirit? What are you going to get? You're going to get a thump on your head, first of all from your wife, and then another one from God, because it's not biblical. Don't question those kind of questions, and as if God's going to give you a different answer than the one that is written. It is written, and the Bible applies to you and me. You can't just ignore that and ask God to, oh, give me another word, Lord. I'm I'm not happy with this one. It's, It's like the man who was wandering too close to the cliff edge and he fell and was hanging on from a root of a tree that was just beginning to give way. And he calls out and he says, anybody up there? And God says, yes. Oh, thank you, Lord. What do I do? And God says, let go. The man pauses and waits and says, is anybody else up there? No matter how difficult it might be, we we, we settle it. If God's word says no, that's it. If God's word says yes, then the first traffic light is a go. But you still really can't rush in after that because you see there's such a thing as God's will. God's word is usually very general. God's will becomes a little more specific. There used to be, and I'm sorry that I didn't check it out, and maybe it still exists, but if it does, anyway, it certainly did. A Bible school called All Nations. And uh, I was in a meeting where some of the Bible school leaders were complaining about the All Nations Bible College. Here's what their complaint was. It's not fair that you you have your name, All Nations, Because when people turn to the Bible and says, go to all nations, they think that God is leading them to your Bible college. What about our Bible college? We should have thought about that, but the International Bible Institute of London isn't in the Bible. But Bible training is in the Bible. So you see, God's word will direct you towards Bible training, and that's a good biblical principle, and that's his word. But his will is where should you Go. Now, if you ask me, I'm biased, I'll tell you to go I-B-I-O-L, won't I? But the Holy Spirit 
we like to specify to you something which is general in the word, but more specific so that you can take that step of obedience. But it's not ended there. That's the second light. I call it the amber light. God's will. Red light, God's word. God's will, the second light. Third light is God's way. God's way. Uh, Let's go into the kitchen. Um, And uh, you might make a a, a dish. Let's invent a dish. So we invent a dish. How about beef stroganoff? I know I haven't invented it. It It existed. Now then, if we were to get people together, the mamas and the papas, and say, okay, how do you make beef stroganoff? Some will say, oh, what are you putting in there? Oh, I have never, I'll try a bit of that. Or somebody will say, oh, no, 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 don't put that in. I have a secret ingredient in mine, it's mustard. Oh, I wasn't going to say. Now the secret is out. But don't freak out if you don't put mustard in your beef stroganoff. I, I would love to describe to you jollof rice and chicken, but it is a mystery to me. Before I go, somebody's going to have to teach me, teach me how to do that. But there are variations. There's a Ghanaian way. Mm -hmm. There's a Nigerian way. And there's an English way. And uh, the English way, anyway, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll go either Ghanaian or, or, or Nigerian, or actually West Indian as well. So you see that everybody has their own way of doing the same thing, really, slightly differently. So God's way is is the exact details tailor-made for you, the, the details and especially the timing. You can be sure of God's word, you can be sure of God's will, but if you step out without the revelation of his way, you will get it wrong, especially in terms of timing. Many years ago, when I was just a new believer, and I was getting all kinds of exciting revelation, dreams and visions and the call of God on my life, and I sat at the back of this very church praying, and God says, your ministry begins now! And oh, that's amazing! And what do I do? This is this great, powerful... Uh, international ministry. Well, you know, that was more than whatever, well, a great number of years ago, 1973, 74. And where are we now? Don't remind me. Anyway, we're a little bit later on in the day than that. How many will understand that many of the things that God showed me in those days were real and true, but some of them have not even yet been fulfilled and it's taken all these years. So it's the timing. It's God's way of working things out in detail. So I expected that something would happen. There would be an amazing manifestation of the Spirit. And I said, well, what is my ministry then? What am I to do, Lord? I opened my eyes. I still have this habit of closing my eyes when I pray. I want to say I've missed so much because I had my eyes closed while I prayed. Anyway, I opened my eyes and my eyes focused on a red hymn book that was sitting on the floor and I looked and there was another and another and another. And I looked up and there was the old, oldest deacon. He was so old. I think he would have run second best to Methuselah himself. He was so old. And there he was struggling as the holy saints of God 
were so holy, they, they just emptied their hands of everything and threw it on the ground and went out praising the Lord and he's picking them up. And I didn't even think about it. Oh, I better help that guy. And when I did, Holy Spirit said to me, congratulations, you have found your ministry. Can you see God's ways? And you need the direction of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of these levels. First traffic light, God's word. What does the Bible say? Second traffic light, God's will. How does it apply to you specifically? Third traffic light, God's way. How is it going to be worked out in specific details which actually will be relevant only to you because it's God's personal leading of you. So, constrained by the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is, I think, a model of how we can work from the Word, hear God's voice for ourselves, be open to the gifts of the Spirit, including prophetic ministry. Now, here's a little thing I want to remind you of. There are five ministry gifts of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Unfortunately, today, evangelical and Pentecostal tradition often ignores three of those and puts the other two together. And so the only ministry you really see and hear about in many evangelical and charismatic Pentecostal churches is the pastor-teacher. They take the role of the pastor and the teacher put it into one and that's it. Do you know what the church is missing out because we do not recognize apostolic prophetic ministry, let alone evangelistic ministry. I have ministered over the years. Not, if, I, if I'm not a pastor, I'm nothing. If I don't care for people, you shouldn't even listen to me. Of course I care for people. We give ourselves in pastoral care. But that is not the gift that defines. The gift that has defined the leadership of this church for many decades, not just the last three decades, but decades before that, has been a much more apostolic and prophetic ministry, which is the foundation of everything. And, and you need to be exposed to prophetic and apostolic ministries. Otherwise, you're not going to have any direction in your life. You'll be feeding and feeding and feeding until you're fed up and decide to go to another church. But when there's an apostolic ministry at work, not only will the church have a, de a degree of expansion and direction and breaking out of tradition and breaking out of the ordinary entrepreneurial expansion and extension, breakthrough ministries. And when you are sitting under that kind of a ministry, you get a breakthrough. You get a breakthrough. When there's an apostolic ministry operating, which is a breakthrough ministry, new territories. You discover new territories. You move into new horizons. And 
places that you've been struggling with in your life, areas and situations under apostolic ministry, you find that the, the walls come down. There's a breakthrough, a breakthrough in your personal life, a breakthrough in your spiritual life, a breakthrough in your family life, a breakthrough in your ministry and in your work and in your employment. So pray that God will continue to cause Kensington Temple to be open to true prophetic and apostolic ministry and do not settle for the tradition of one man ministry, pastor, teacher, together. We pray that the apostles and prophets will continue to arise and evangelists and it all together. So I said that in order for you to realize that I really am bigging up the prophetic ministry. Even though I'm saying be careful, be cautious, and there are some uh, danger zones that you've got to stay away from, but it is a thing, it's a real thing. The Holy Spirit brings prophetic words to God's people today. It, can I have an amen in this charismatic church? All right. So let's look at Paul and see what we can derive from his life for our own leading of the Holy Spirit. First of all, Paul says that he knows his calling. Everything that happens to him, he interprets it according to this one directive, God's call upon his life. In other words, you can see him asking the question is, well, that's what that prophet is saying. That's what I'm sensing. Uh, but do you know what? Does this help me fulfill my calling? Is this something that is going to take me further into the fulfillment of God's purposes for my life? Everything else is secondary. And our choices would be much more simple if we actually said, you know what? If I have a choice between A, B and C, which one of those things is going to help me bring the most glory to God and to fulfill his plan for my life? Think about that. Don't think about advancing on a career ladder. Don't think about salary scales only. Don't even think about, well, it's more convenient if I go from there because I'll have more opportunity if I'm in that place, in this place, location. No, think about mission. Think about what God is calling you to do. And then take those choices, even if some of them may have been, may, may be more difficult for you than others. But in order for that to happen, you've got to know what your calling is. And Paul knew what his calling was. He met Christ on the Damascus Road, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. What happened was that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, he is called in that chapter, was on the way from Jerusalem, having authority from the, from the uh, priests of the temple to go and arrest Christians and to torture them and to imprison them and, and even kill them. And so he is threatening the very existence of the early church of Jerusalem. While he has this anger and hatred in his heart, he's on the way to Damascus to do this thing. And Jesus appears to him. And he realizes that he's been persecuting the one who truly is Messiah. And then God sends a disciple by the name of Ananias 
to deliver a message, a prophetic message, to explain to Saul of Tarsus what his life was going to be like from now onwards. Saul, life as you know it is over, but I've got good news for you. Your new life, your mission, your purpose has just begun. Acts 9.15, but the Lord said to him, this is the message, go for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And here's Paul, Paul now knows this mission. And even in our passage when he is saying, the spirit testifies, imprisonments and afflictions await me in Jerusalem, but I don't care about that. I only care about one thing, that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And do you know, I couldn't put it better myself for my life. And I couldn't put it better for your life. That's who we are and why we are where we are to testify of the gospel of God's grace to let the whole world know that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. Amen and amen. What did he do next? Well, we know he went about preaching straight away, testifying wherever he could in Damascus saying, ah, Jesus is the Christ. He was pretty ignorant. He knew the Hebrew scriptures but only from the point of view of the uh, rabbinical interpretation that he was brought under. He had no idea how the scriptures related to Jesus of Nazareth. And so they came for him. And his friends, thank God for friends, they said, Saul, they're coming for you. Now we're going to let you out the window. Well, that's five stories high. Never mind, here's a basket. Get in the basket and escape. And they let him down and let him out, and he went away to Arabia, and he was in obscurity for a number of years. Quite a long number of years. So what did he do? Grumble and complain? No. He immersed himself in the scriptures. He had fellowship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And during that time, God opened the scriptures to him, and he was learning and unlearning and relearning. He was thinking and rethinking everything, listening and hearing from God so that after that period, he was available to the Holy Spirit. And then of course, as you know, the story goes, he's called by Barnabas and he becomes a Bible teacher in Antioch, the new Gentile church that was creating shock waves and the ancient world, and, and then one day after two years of this, the Spirit speaks and says, separate Saul and Barnabas, send them out as my apostles. And, and then every step of the way, he's led by the Spirit. He follows a strategy. Holy Spirit interrupts on one occasion. He was heading for Ephesus. This was his second missionary journey. And we know on the third missionary journey, he actually did that, but the Holy Spirit stopped him, saying, you can't preach in Asia. So they can't preach in Asia, I'm not going back, let's go on. I know you can't go up there, Bithynia. The only option, one road, one road out of there, the road to Troas. That's the coastal town on the other side of the GNC from what is now modern Europe. And there he has a vision in the night and a man from Macedonia says, come over and help us. So they cross the Aegean Sea 
and come to Philippi. And that's how the gospel came to Europe in the very first instance. Now he's completed those three major journeys and he wants to go on to Rome. He wants to testify in Rome. But I'm going to Jerusalem first. If you want to go to Rome, don't go to Jerusalem. But he was in in, um, the transfer lounge in Jerusalem because the prophets said, you're going to be arrested, handed over. And they said, they begged him, even by the Spirit, don't go, don't go, Paul. It's going to be difficult, don't go. And Paul said, no, the Spirit's constraining me. But the prophets are saying, all the prophets are telling me is what's awaiting me there. I'm, I'm prepared for that. Let God's will be done. And so he surrendered to the will of God. And even the prophets who were saying, don't go, don't go, thus says the Lord, don't go, don't go. And Paul says, I must go because the Spirit is driving me. Doesn't that tell you something? Doesn't that tell you something? Prophecy is not supposed to be some infallible direction. Some of the stupid things that people have done because somebody who called themselves a prophet said, thus says the Lord, empty your bank account and give it to me. And people have done that. People have done both those things. How dumb can you be and still breathe? You have the Holy Spirit. God makes you alert to the voice of God. That's what the cross is all about He's given you a personal relationship with God, personal, intimate contact by the Holy Spirit. We do need each other. We do need to have confirmation. We do need to hear what God is saying to us through other people, but never reject your responsibility. Don't kiss your brains goodbye and just follow what everybody tells you. We have got to be more mature than that. And if there's any doubt, go to those who are seasoned soldiers in the school, or seasoned soldiers in the army of the Spirit, mature students in the school of the Holy Spirit. So be guided by the Word and be constrained by the Holy Spirit. Be open to genuine prophetic words. But know this, that no prophet today can speak with the infallibility of Scripture. Very simple rule. People who tell you, God has told me you should marry such and such a person. I always tell the story when Amanda tells the story of a, of a man who was rather too zealous for the ladies in a certain church somewhere. I am blanking out the name to protect the guilty here. My dear sister, Amanda heard this man say to one of the other sisters in the church, God has shown me that I am to marry you. And she said, well, isn't that a coincidence? He said the same thing to my husband three years ago. (laughs) No, the gift of prophecy today is not about controlling your life, where you should go, how much you should put in the offering. 
what you should do, what you shouldn't do, who you should marry. No. God lives in you. Seek him for his word for your life. And let that be confirmed. And don't dismiss it. I've got a prophecy that somebody gave me many, many years ago. I haven't ignored it, but it's not been confirmed and I have no witness. But I haven't ignored it, I put it on one side. Here is the word. Go to Japan. What now? <laughs> I have nothing against Japan. I'd love to go to Japan. But why would I go unless God tells me to go? Why would I go just because somebody else says? Now, I haven't ignored that. And now I've let the cat out of the bag, so please don't come prophesying about Japan. But, but when the Holy Spirit confirms that to me, and maybe it's about timing, you know? Maybe I've got to be open to Japan. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll have more opportunity now. But I'm still not going to go until it's the right time. Until it's the right time to go. God spoke to me about Africa and Brazil many, many years, many years before I had the release from the Spirit. And one day somebody came in and said, now there's a definite invitation for Brazil. And the Spirit of God came upon me. I nearly fell over. I mean, you know, sometimes God has to really shake me to get through to my thick brain. But anyway, that was the right time. And, and if I'd gone one day before that, I would have been out of the will of God. So it's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, always working towards the big picture, staying within the scripture, listening to God yourself, and working always towards the big picture. And if it fits in with the big picture, what God showed you about your life, then go for it. Go for it big time. So the age of the Spirit, we are being led by the Spirit, shaped to be like Jesus by the Spirit, living for the glory of God by the Spirit. And in following the Spirit, we know that we can trust God with everything else in our lives.